0: The Athletic.
1: Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and every Friday we preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365 Steve Freeth. Steve, how are you? Really missed you, pal. I bet you bet you've never said that to a villa fan before?
2: No a couple. A couple of have <laughs> okay. earned me a few quid. Yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, No no, it's it, it's good to have you back and you've you know, you've lost the odd game as well, which is always sweet as well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure we will come
1: on today. that. It's good to be back. And as usual, my co-host George Ellick is here as well. Always busy, George. Another busy week for you.
0: So busy forever. I had to postpone the uh, the re- normal recording time by half an hour to fit in all my meetings. Um, but it's all good. So as I keep saying, whenever I complain to my friends that I'm busy, they're like, what, talking about football? I'm like, yes, that is, yeah, that is what I'm busy doing. So it could be worse. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So, someone who is not going to be busy for the next few weeks. I imagine he's gone to Portugal. Is Steve Bruce? Steve finally put out of his misery at Newcastle, relieved of his of his duties. Who do you think is going to be next for Newcastle? Because it's a bit of a weird appointment. Because we all know they've got money now, but they're obviously near the lower echelons of the league, and it kind of feels like they need someone who's got some experience of that. So it's it's going to be a really interesting appointment.
2: Yes, it is. Uh, clearly, a load of uh, a load of names, you know, in the hat. And I suppose if you're an agent of these type of uh, managers as well, then you're going to be putting the, uh, the name forward. I, I suppose with them being only two to one for relegation, you need to be careful as well. It's clearly going to be mm. a building project for a for a manager.
0: I mean, at the moment, it seems like the the, the name is being linked. Paolo Fonseca is the pretty much favourite across the board. But then you've got Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard, Lucien Favre. The name is being linked. But it seems to me, you know, as everyone knows like the, the first step in this job is going to be keeping Newcastle up and that is not going to be an easy task for whoever, whoever no. takes over because they're not a very good side so you're probably not going to get the manager who is going to be the manager who takes you to those heady heights that quite clearly the, the club's new owners have ambitions to reach so you're looking for somebody who's going to be something of a stopgap now it does bring in somebody like you know Fonseca, who played great football at Roma who's known to be a very attacking coach does bringing him into a premier league side who i mean do have some very good attacking players in their ranks to you know, Maximan being one kind wilson uh, almiron you know they do have players who who thrive but for what the the job is it strikes me that they should look for somebody who Maybe would be a step up on what Bruce is and knows something about the league. You know, you met Eddie Howe who is somebody who has managed in the Premier League a lot before. But you look at someone like Chris Wilder, who his stock was so high. What eighteen months ago? Mm, I think last, yeah. b- the beginning of last summer, after that first season at Sheffield United, he was. You know, there was talk about Arsenal owners being being admirers of him. There was talk about him being a possible England manager in the future. And then one bad season, which you know, at the end of the day, someone has to get relegated, and it was the first season they overachieved so much that the next season was always going to be difficult and he's suddenly now being linked to to championship jobs now in Wilder you've got somebody who is quite clearly going to be a step up on on Bruce somebody who plays a, a, a much more attractive brand of football and who frankly if you get very lucky and things click early on um, could be the man to take you. I mean, maybe not to the Champions League, but forward for a couple of years. I mean, he's not being linked. I'm sure he isn't even being approached. I'm sure that he isn't as a, a sexy enough name to entice the the new owners. But you know, if I was, if I had a seat on that board, he'd be the name. Or kind of name I'd be looking for? Somebody who you know can shore things up for 18 months. Who probably has a higher ceiling than he's given credit for, and who has a track record of being a capable manager at this level, and, and crucially knows the players and knows the kind of recruitment they need to do in January. I've got a sneaky feeling for Roy Hodgson for the end of the season. Wow. That's a steady away. Steady thing. steady away
2: Roy, yeah. A, a steady out, hand. Out, out the
0: frying pan into the fire, isn't it a little bit? Yeah, but I just
2: I think that's the kind of one I need. <laughs> it's funny isn't it <laughs> we're talking about this, you know, this uh, this takeover. They got all the money in the world. you've been talking about Chris Walder and Roy Hodgson, you know, it's it is such a underwhelming you know two selections can you imagine if you're a, a, a player in that dressing room or be a fan listen it, you, you haven't got to stick your hand up george i'm a huge chris Walder fan and i totally understand that <laughs> um but uh, yes if i was pricing it up you could probably have any price you like i'd love to see chris Walder back i'm surprised he's not back um at this stage i'm sure he's itching to get back as well i'd have taken him at the albion uh, in a heartbeat by the way um, bet, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and who knows, <laughs> he might be having the job soon after last night. Of course, I'm only, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm only joking. Need <laughs> your reaction, but uh, yes, I will be surprised, um, especially Chris Ward if he's anywhere near the job.
1: Let's move on then to the weekend fixtures. It's Friday night lights to start us off at the Emirates. It's Arsenal against Aston Villa, Friday, eight pm. Uh, George, you called it right, apparently. The Crystal Palace game, I've got no idea what you
0: said, but apparently you called the game right last week. I nearly called it right. I said that I thought Crystal Palace would would give them a game. I said I thought Crystal Palace would, would have a lot of the ball and prevent Arsenal from playing. It all went right. I was sitting pretty with my bet, having backed um, Crystal Palace, rejecting the, the Bet365 cash-out offers that were flashing up and in my eyes on my screen and then suspended two minutes to go. Well, no, two seconds to go and Lacazette prods in. You've got to feel very sorry for Patrick Vieira because that is... Two games a season, arguably more, you should say, um, games a season where they've deserved more than they've gotten. One against the side that he probably wanted to beat more than any other because of his history at the club in Arsenal. And you saw his reaction at full time. Yeah, you saw Chris how much fallen. it would have meant to him to, to get the win at the Emirates. Um, and as I said, I think that would have set up a, a narrative. And I think, I think Crystal Palace's performance will set up a narrative from now on where... Anytime Arteta's under pressure, you've got to feel like Patrick Vieira's shadow is looming pretty large over him because the way that he's getting his Palace side to play is exactly the way that Arsenal would like to see their teams play. And, and Palace were incredibly unlucky not to win the game. Um, Arsenal fans would, would say that um, you know the MacArthur should have been sent off for what was just a, an extraordinary um, kick out at Bukayo Saka that meant he ended up coming off at half-time. Um, a, a disguised hoof that was actually just him deciding to kick the the calf of a standing player. Um, not something we'd particularly like to see. And you've got to ask why if the AR didn't pick up on it because it would have been a different game. But um, yeah, I, 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 all I took out of it, basically, again, I think Arsenal's theme so far this season is maybe having disappointing results. But I think their fixture list, when you consider their supposedly easy fixtures, have been against Brentford, they've been against Brighton, uh, have been against... Um, Palace, I I think these are the teams who are, you know, sneaky good, basically, at the moment. And um, the draw, whilst their fans will expect to beat Palace at home, generally, uh, I don't think a draw, especially in the circumstances, is the worst result.
1: Yeah, and Steve, Villa, the visitors on Friday, won the last three against Arsenal Dean Smith's got a good record against Mikel Arteta how do you see this going because Villa have done well with with the high press and I feel like that's something that Arsenal are quite vulnerable against on Monday night so if you know John McGinn's in the side he's on great form at the moment Villa's recent record, as I've just alluded to, that there's every chance that Arsenal could slip up. Have you
2: been reading my notes, Dan? That's just uh, no, exactly. No, I have not. <laughs> is that what it is? That's, Yeah, that's just exactly uh, how how I saw the Arsenal game, and I thought about John McGinn instantly. Uh, rivalry aside, he's a he's a fantastic f- uh, player for Villa, isn't he? he? Has been for a while now. Uh, very very consistent, and I think that that game on Friday night is going to be. Uh, Right up his street. To be honest with you, um, at least we've got the right man in you to ask. I- I've got so many questions to ask you about about this Villa side. Um, <laughs> speaking to you know to Villa fans, you know the formation is it working? By the way, from a, as a punter point of view, I love Matty Cash. I mean, he had three yeah. shots against Wolves, all, all three in the box. Of course, you went to pieces after that. By the way, and the uh, 125 to 1 Wolves, somehow got three goals in the last 10 minutes. Um, Ings and Watkins, do they do they work as a partnership as a two? I mean Watkins is better off the left isn't he surely um, again I mean I'm Difficult. just I'm just interested in your thoughts
1: I think it's a slow burner at the moment it's not particularly working at, at the moment I know Ings scored at the weekend but I don't feel like he's getting loads of chances when he does get a chance you know, 9 times out of 10 he'll stick it in the back of the net Watkins obviously last season operated so well as a, as a lone forward I think he's just getting used to it at the moment playing with Danny Ings Danny Ings tends to be the one that, that drops off a little bit but we've, we've struggled to get both of them into the game, we're playing this three at the back at the moment, which some Villa fans like, some Villa fans don't. But it's, it's going to be hard because you've got to try and get everyone into the team. And when is there and available again now, Leon Bailey's back back in training. You know, when he's fit, he absolutely has to play. And in, with a three at the back, Leon Bailey probably there isn't space for him in the team. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But De Smith hasn't had a fully fit side to choose from all season. We're getting somewhere towards now having that. So. I, I fancy this against Arsenal just because I think it's, it's our kind of game away from home. We, we did very well against Chelsea with the high press, won at United with with the high press. And I, I just think it's the kind of game where if you can get the crowd to turn on Arsenal early, Ollie Watkins scored three goals against them in two, in two starts last season as well. It just feels like the kind of game where Villa can get something, but it, it's very much a work in progress.
0: I don't want to bring up bad memories for you, Dan, especially when you when you were poorly. But let's talk about that Wolves game. Um, I don't know if you were watching it on the sofa or, or what was going on, but I mean, no, I, was, I was there. I was there. Were there? Slumped in my seat. What's the post mortem? I mean, what happened to be 2-0 up against the Wolves side who've been struggling for goals this season um, to sacrifice that kind of league? That was. I'm somebody who's been pretty keen to get with, with Villa this season and talk them up as being potential, you know, top six uh, crashes of the party. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, some red flags there um, to concede the way you did and to, to squander that lead. I mean, after
1: 80 minutes or 75 to 80 minutes, if you told me we were going to lose that game, I'd have laughed at your face. because <laughs> it's so, so comfortable. So, and so far, M-Bland the superior team. Yeah, Benteke came off. Cash got injured, which I don't, I don't think helped. Uh, people are blaming the substitutions, but you know, Dean Smith had to make subs because players were injured. Louise had been away on international jury. I think him coming off in the midfield, I don't think the campers quite as good on the ball as him, so that made a difference. But you shouldn't be sacrificing a two-goal lead at the very least. You know, once you've got to two, to make sure you don't lose the game. Three three set pieces. I, I think it was a freak. I think Dean Smith kind of said it wasn't a collapse. It was just a, just a freak game. But we fluffed our lines. We had multiple chances to clip to clear the ball for the first two goals. Didn't face up to the free kick very well. And it ends up trickling in, in the net. I, d- I do think it was a freak game. But it's one of those ones now where suddenly you'll feel jittery every time we're defending a free kick or defending mm. a corner because that, that's how it tends to go in football. But it was just a massive collapse. I don't think I, I've seen some collapses in my times from Villa. Don't get me wrong. But to collapse in that way against against local rivals with ten minutes left and end up losing that game, I've never seen anything like that. And you know, I don't even think Wolves were that good. It, it's just purely down to set pieces. Mm. I'm sure Steve was laughing, laughing away, chuckling
2: <laughs> away. Well I, well, I didn't know who to... Who to, who to I'd have taken the it's draw, I think. Yeah, it's a difficult one for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's I'd have taken the two draw. Two is perfect. At least, as I said before, they were 125 to one-shot to all, so it was, a, it was a bit of a comeback, and we'd paid out on Villa as well anyway with one of our offers. So. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise. Your fixtures, Dan, coming up now, you know, the West Ham, Southampton... Uh, you know, I suppose you'll be looking to get more more points on the board. It's a great time to go to the Emirates as well as we've kind of uh, yeah. touched on as well. I've, I'm, I'm expecting Villa to uh, to get a good result here, of course. And of course, it's it's a uh, it's a massive game for your goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, the return. Although I do feel over recent weeks the blow of Emi Martinez George leaving has been softened because Ramsdale has done pretty well, and the Arsenal fans seem to like him.
0: I think it's a good start. I I think with keepers, it can so often be so important to make a good start because confidence (laughs) plays such a massive role, especially for someone like Anne Ramsdale, who hasn't played for a club um, with the same expectations as Arsenal, uh, has had a couple of seasons playing as a number one for a side who ended up being relegated. And getting off to a good start with with the fan base, uh, with your defence, is important. And, And Ramsdale's definitely done that. He's a keeper that I have a lot of time for. He's somebody who I think too many how do I put this without being rude, armchair fans um, are maybe too quick to point out his, his record in, in terms of being relegated because frankly that has nothing to do with him. He's a, a very, very capable keeper. He's somebody who's going to improve in time and I think he's going to be a very sh- shrewd signing eventually. So I think the, the decision to let Emmy Martinez go was, was undoubtedly pretty, um, in hindsight, not a very good one because they then had to re- replace him because Leno wasn't good enough. But you are right. I think that now who'll be the better keeper in three or four years, I think I'd probably say Ramsdale. Um, so, yes. Sorry, Dan. That's okay. Didn't realize there was a horse in the podcast. He's just, he's just, uh, <laughs> he's just, he's just young,
1: he's just young. he's just younger, isn't he? I don't think he'll, he'll reach Martinez's level. But this is your
0: opinion.
2: I'll we'll let you carry on. Yeah, Sorry. we'll see. We'll, yeah, see. Yeah, we'll no, see. No, that's all
0: right. I, I like is the, he, uh, you know, the partisan nature's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is he as good this year, Dan? Yeah, because I know goals prevention-wise, he, he was great last season. Uh, Martinez, but he's not been as good this season. I think he's minus minus 1.2 goals on the goals prevention chart I've just seen. So, um, I know it's only a small sample. Yeah, that'll be be a fair statement. I mean, it doesn't help
1: when you getting back from international duty with five minutes to spare for kickoff off that, that, That's not, ne- never ideal. That you know, he's arriving in the morning of games and, and playing, but he's still on fantastic form for Argentina. And if if Lionel Messi loves you, then you must be doing something. Like <laughs> and he, he certainly <laughs> seems to love you.
0: Also, Ma- Ma- Martínez is an ex-Oxford player as well. So, um do? So, yeah, he? He na- played, played a few places, hasn't he? He played, played one game on loan because we tried to get okay. um, Almunia on, on an emergency loan on the final day. And last minute, Almunia said, you know what? I actually don't fancy going to League One for one game. So Arsene said you can have... He was then called Damien Martinez instead. Uh, yeah, and he played so badly that he, he changed his name to Emiliano instead. Just uh... <laughs> yeah, Never look back. Never look back from that name no. change.
1: <laughs> give, give us the tip then. I mean, bizarre bizarre talk on the, on the podcast there. Give, give us your tip then, Steve.
2: Yeah, again, we've touched on it. Watkins, three against two against the club he, he supported as a boy. He's only got one shot, uh, one goal from 15 shots so far this season. He's played 200 minutes less than Ings, but I do fancy him to get another goal on Friday night. And I'm going to be backing him to score at any time around 13 to 5.
3: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Let's move on now to Chelsea v Norwich, which is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And, Steve, Norwich, it's a, it's a funny one, really, because it is a different side to the side that was there last time, but all, everything that's happening feels very similar.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, two goals, both from Puki. One penalty. They have had 20 shots on target. Admittedly, they've had a they had a tough start, Dan, didn't they? With Liverpool and City and Chelsea next. From a, a points point of view, at the start of the season, we we had them in at at, at 34 and a half points, and um, we now 26 and a half points. So we, we we don't think they're anywhere near Derby yet. That 11 point haul. I think that would still be a thousand to one poke, uh, but clearly. At one to five to be relegated and eleven to ten to finish bottom, then clearly we think it's going to be um, be a long old season. Uh, I mean, you know, it took Sheffield United. How many, how many wins last season? How many games for a win? Seventeen was it or something like that before they finally got a win on the board. I'm not saying Norwich are going to go that far, but it's uh, it does seem to be a bit like Groundhog Day, that's for sure. Yeah, well, let's let's hear what someone in the know
1: thinks about it. Let's hear from the Athletics Michael Bailey on Norwich's start to life back in the top flight.
4: Yeah, it's certainly been a challenging uh, start to the season for, for Norwich City and especially Daniel Farco. If I think back to two years ago when they were promoted, it was roughly the same squad, which caused problems later on in the campaign. But essentially, that was why they looked so cohesive when they were first promoted and so um, just joyous. They knew what they were doing. They went about it. They attacked. They didn't really mind about the defending and they looked really fun. Um, obviously, that kind of then ran out of steam once... Everyone worked out how to play them. This time around, there's been lots of changes to the squad. That's taken a lot of time to bed. Some of them came in late and actually with the way that Norwich had a COVID outbreak during pre-season, they're still having to work out how to, um, how to play and actually play in a way that can get them some points at this level. And it's quite clearly a work in progress. And whether they'll get the time to really establish doing that. Um, It's difficult to say at the moment and that's why people are genuinely taking some degree of positives from two goalless draws as a step forward. But they are getting there, they are improving and they are looking a bit more cohesive. I think at some point we will get to a tipping point where they either start putting in some really impressive performances or they're going to regress and they aren't going to manage it. Chelsea would be an interesting time to see if they can provide it. But certainly with Matthias Norman and and Nozanka back, You can see that there are players there who are better than they've had and are giving them an opportunity maybe to improve. The difficulty is they've also lost one of their best attacking players in Emi Buendia and they don't really look like scoring at the moment.
1: George, a little bit of progress in the last few weeks from Norwich in the fact that they've kept two clean sheets, albeit they didn't score in either of those games, which I'm sure is really, really frustrating for the Norwich fans. But... It's about finding a balance now for them, isn't it? But it's just so, so difficult. The way they operate, you know, I respect the way they operate. They don't spend beyond their means, but it is going to be very difficult to be successful.
0: It is going to be. and I think the one gamble that they maybe took that isn't paying off uh, ahead of this season was that Timo Pukki was a good enough mm-hmm. striker yeah. without Emi Buendia. Um I think for the second half of last season, we saw that that probably was in doubt. You know, he started the season well, but last season they were in the Premier League, Norwich were a much better attacking force than they looked this time around. You know, They were poor defensively, of course, but especially in the first half of the season, they were still registering as an attacking force. Now, you know, they've done well to keep two clean sheets in a row. They were better against Brighton, we have to say as well. But um, I don't think Teemu Puki is individually good enough to be leading the, leading the line for a, uh, a side like Norwich who are struggling to create. Basically, you know, we, we, we do now see generally championship strikers make the step up and are, and are good enough. You know, Ollie Watkins, Ivan Toney certainly showing at the moment, but there are occasions certain players, Dwight Gale is, is a classic example, Glenn Murray as well, where a certain type of striker who maybe rely so much on their movement and their finishing, but they don't have the physical attributes to match. You know, they don't have the pace to run in behind, they don't have the strength to, to bounce off defenders. Um, struggle making the step up and I kind of think that Pukki might fit into that and they've brought in players to either play alongside him or, or to challenge him but at the moment Sergeant, for all of the um, good things I read about him before his arrival from people who, who would know, doesn't look like he's taken to the Premier League too quickly that's not to say that he won't um, Rashika's in the same boat as well so it's really difficult to see a reason why they would um, improve, I think they that they didn't replace Buendia, basically. They don't have that creative heartbeat. And I think that, in my opinion, the, the decision to let um, Mario Vrancic go at the same time as, in the same summer as, as Temer Puki on a free, you know, Vrancic isn't necessarily a, a a player who is Premier League quality in himself, but he's somebody who... Is very very creative in the final third. Who could I think have, have stepped up to the, to the to the plate in terms of just pure style in Brandi's absence? But they let him go on a free to Stoke. He's had a brilliant start there, and and it's a, a player in that mould that they're really lacking. So I don't think that um, it, it's hard to be particularly positive at the moment. Uh, but definitely the, the performances and the results in the last couple of weeks have started trending in the right way. The fact we're saying that on the back of two nil nil jaws just shows how low it it, it started, um, and then. In typical Norwich fashion you know after picking up a couple of points to give themselves a platform to try and get their first win um they're now away from home against the Champions League holders which doesn't make their task too too easy no,
1: let's have your tip then for this game George
0: well I mean I'm not overly keen on Chelsea at the moment you know they're watching them play looking at the the underlying numbers the XG stuff um I think they're they're just running a little bit hot basically you look at their recent wins they were I mean they were frankly second best against Brentford on on Saturday afternoon um they wasn't there wasn't a great deal between them and Southampton the week before um they the the 3-0 win over Aston Villa flattered them massively on, on on the day as well they seem to me to be a side who are picking up um points when not playing particularly well, now it's it's the old cliche that that is the sign of a good team. I, I I don't buy into that at all. I think that you you either have to improve your your quality and your performance levels, or you're going to start conceding um, goals. You're going to start dropping points. I, I don't necessarily think this is the game where that's going to happen. We saw in midweek um, against Malmo, they brushed them aside four 0 against weaker opposition. Although Romulo Lukaku's poor form and now injury, uh, so he'll I'm sure he won't play on Saturday. Um, does blunt them a little bit so I, I think I think Chelsea will win but I think I'm, I'm happy to and, I, and I'm pretty sure that Norwich aren't going to trouble them too much at the other end um, so I'm going to go for a correct score just a dart at 2-0 which is 5-1 to basically the thinking being that Chelsea will likely win Norwich probably won't score but I don't necessarily think Chelsea are playing well enough to make it a convincing 4-5-0 or uh, scoreline that we'd probably see if this was Liverpool or City.
1: I'll go along with that. I can see 2-0 to Chelsea being the result at the weekend. Next up is the tea time game. Brighton against Manchester City and Steve. Phil Ferdinand in insatiable form in the weekend. Is there anything
2: that Phil Ferdin cannot do? And is there a position he can't play Yeah, the boy's alright, isn't he? The boy mm. is alright. Yeah, he can do absolutely everything by the look of it. I mean, forget the PFA Young Player of the Year, which he is favourite to win, by the way. What about him winning both only only 3 mm. players have ever done that um in the in the history of the PFA awards and one of them was a former villa player well, that's, that's a, a good quiz uh, question
1: because i don't know the an- i don't know the answer yeah. to
2: it Well, it was a long time ago it was Andy Gray Andy oh, Gray I'm really won sure it. about to stuff and Andy Gray He it both uh, Ronaldo the, and uh, Garrett...
0: go on. isn't the PFA player of the year award this year called the the most salary award isn't that isn't that, that, that already? It's got it a is, chance. Isn't yes, that already? It is not
2: that already Yeah, yeah he, does, he doesn't qualify for the young player though. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, but uh, yes, yeah. Of course. And, uh, yeah, Ronaldo and Bale have, have also won it. But yeah, he did actually score in both games against against Brighton last season, Dan, as well. Um, and I, I think I think we'll. Just going off the the Foden subject, I think we'll definitely get a love in between Pep and Potter this weekend for that always seems to happen. By the way, Foden's eleven to two to score first and seven to four. Should he should he be able to play in you know Pep, Pep's roulette? Of course, it's, uh, it's it's a joy to watch him and it's really exciting. i suppose, to actually see as how far this this lad can go. Yeah, I should say as well. He even
1: finds time to produce podcasts because our producer, I swear, they're separated at birth. Him and Phil Philford <laughs> look they look exactly the same. It's, it, it, it's frightening. Absolutely frightening. But, George, Man City blitzed Club Bruges in in midweek. You know, Brighton, they lost there last season, actually. I think they lost at Brighton last season, didn't they? But they're they're looking like they're getting somewhere near to clicking into gear, Man City now.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting test as to where both Manchester City are and where Brighton are. Because... Brighton have been defensively incredibly solid this season so far. You look at the xG against from open play this season; only Manchester City have conceded fewer. So, three point seven xG against City in open play. Brighton three point seven xG conceded in open play this season for City four point eight Brighton. So, they're the you know first and second in that metric. So, I think this is going to be a game where you know even though City are overwhelming favourites to win it, they're not going to have it easy, and their lack of striker, which you know playing. Bruges in midweek wasn't an issue at all and it's just it's so Pep Guardiola that he's you know Steve talks about Pep Roulette the fact that he's rouletteing the, the false nine role you know it was Grealish against Liverpool it was Foden on on, on, on Tuesday um, and then even mid-game he's bringing other players into that position but this is going to be a, a trickier test against a manager who I have no doubt that Pep Guardiola will we'll, we'll respect what Graham Potter is doing, um, and will respect him as a tactician. I know this is going to be tough, and for Brighton, it's an incredible opportunity for them to see how good they are. You know, playing against the the even money or odds on favourites to win the Premier League title. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be um, a goal fest, but I can see this being for the for the purists, for those who like to see a proper tactical battle between two guys who know exactly how their teams like to play, um, who are able to play possession based football whilst being very solid defensively just by preventing the opposition from really getting on the board in dangerous areas. Um it's 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 my you know it's it's the stats nerds dream dream game. Even if it finishes nil-nil, it'll be the game where, you know, it's a proper tussle between two guys who I consider to be two of the best tacticians in the league.
1: Well, never mind Phil Foden and his podcast producing and his being really good at football. There is a new kid on the block. Cole Palmer grabbed his first Champions League goal in midweek. And we're now going to hear from The Athletic reporter, Jack Pitbrook, who is going to tell us a little bit more about him. He's the
0: latest big thing to come out of the City Academy and he looks already talented and strong enough to play for the first team. It's an interesting moment for City. Obviously, they've come into the season without a recognised centre-forward. Uh, Ferran Torres has just got a foot injury on international duty, which will keep him out for two or three months. There's questions about Raheem Sterling's form at the moment, and that means there could be an opening for a player like Palmer for City coming up. So if he can play well at Brighton this Saturday, if involved, we could even see him having a bit of a run inside,
1: which would be very exciting, I think, for fans across the country. Another one off the conveyor belt for Manchester City's Academy there. Steve, you're going to give us a prediction for Brighton against City.
2: Yeah, six of uh, the last seven Brighton games have been under two and a half goals, Dan. I can see this following a a similar pattern. We talked about Manchester City there. Only faced 12 shots on target all season and six clean sheets conceding just three goals. I think two of them, uh, Spurs and Liverpool. I I, I do see a tight tactical battle. I'm going to go for under two and a half goals in it.
1: Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that.
0: Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly.
1: Let's move on to West Ham against Spurs which is Sunday at 2 o'clock and George, you're going to talk to us about Hoyberg and his new role under Nuno this season.
0: He's a player that I love anyway um, in terms of what he can offer aside, there aren't many players who have both his technical passing ability his engine and his physical ability to get across the pitch and, and, and you know the tackling side of things as well to break up play. Uh, I think he's been not misused necessarily because he's been such a good player for for Spurs since he's been there. Um but now playing alongside Oliver Skip we're starting to see much more of the attacking intent. Um and he is he's you know he's a brilliant passer. He's not somebody who is just mm. capable of of shifting it sideways and and being that kind of link between defence and attack. He is somebody who can, you know as we saw for Denmark in the in the Euros as well, he's somebody who is very good at breaking the lines with his passing ability. I don't think he's ever been given the freedom to do that. Now unsurprisingly under um, Jose Mourinho he was not given any creative freedom really but we saw him get an assist last week I think the arrival of, of Skip gives a really nice balance to that midfield as well where it enables them to control possession when they want to and Hoybier to be the more attacking of the two and the more creative of the two too so you know he's a it's not often that players at his uh, at his age and someone with his experience, we know a lot about, develop, but I think that the you know skips emergence in the first team is meaning we're seeing a different side to him. And I think he will emerge as being, you know, we talk about Harry Kane and, and Son obviously being the two key players for Spurs, but I consider him to be pretty close third in terms of being that midfield general anyway. Um, and with the extra side of, of a bit more creative freedom too, uh, we're starting to see the best of him.
1: Usually, Steve, on this podcast, I'm upsetting Arsenal fans. This week, I'm going to ups- upset Spurs fans instead. I don't know what it is about me and North London. But West Ham <laughs> are the favourites for this one. And, you know, I would say they're the they're the better side of the two, West Ham.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they are favs on the on, on the ratings, Dan. A little bit shorter than I... Than I initially expected. I know they're at home, and it, that has a, a part to play. in it, I think, there's Europa League, of course, Thursday night as well, with them being at home. Spurs haven't got miles to go to, and they're and they'll be resting as well. I tell you, there's a huge discrepancy on the last two seasons, so it just goes to show how far West Ham have progressed under David Moyes. They were 19 to 10 last season with Spurs as the favourites, and the season before that, they were seven or five with Spurs being odds on. So West Ham are obviously picking up under David Moyes which is great and they're, they're great at set pieces under Moyes as well haven't they? I've never known a team mm. score so many. I think it's 29 they've scored for 29 set pieces since David Moyes has been there so and they had one last weekend at Everton as well so they're clearly working on that as well. I think the two defeats that West Ham have had this season have been real late killer blows for them haven't they? Um, both goals in, in, in injury time which will be really disappointing for West Ham but they're They're ticking on nicely. They're at home, Dan, and I think they deserve to be favourites in this one. Yeah, I I fancy them. Declan Rice,
1: George, is just on unbelievable form at the moment. Excellent against Everton at Goodison on, on Sunday. Turned into the complete defensive midfielder, really.
0: Yeah, you can kind of probably replay what I said about Hoybiag a second ago because he is yeah, somebody else you know? he's, he's so good on the ball. You know, he doesn't get enough credit for his passing ability. He's somebody who I love the way that he can uh, basically in one movement collect the ball on his right foot and open his body quickly to, to, to spread the play onto the right hand side. He's somebody who is you know his enthusiasm um, is clear in the way that he works off the ball, his running, his tackling. It's it's probably the the game between two of the best midfielders of their type. Um, you know, the, probably the kind of midfielder that the Manchester United um, fans are after in terms of being able to break up play, but able to be the the first uh, player in in terms of, of starting attacks and using their passing ability to get their team on the front foot. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Rice fan. Um, I, I loved, I thought being able to see him live in the summer playing for England. Uh, made me see him in a whole new light because often I think it's difficult watching these games on the telly to see the the work that a player like him does. You know, often players like Rice can go somewhat under the radar, but when you see them live and you see how every time you, you're seeing, you know, when, whenever, it's, uh, and it, whenever it was an England player winning the ball back, so often it was Rice and, it, you know, he'd cover so much ground as well. So, um, yeah, a, a, an incredible player and somebody who um, I think could possibly start adding some goal involvements to his uh you know, I'm not, this isn't a criticism. I, I think it will happen. I think he's somebody who will. Um, he's starting to play a little bit further up the pitch for West Ham. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he starts getting a few goals and assists to his name as well.
1: And how's this game going to go on Sunday, George?
0: Well, as Steve said, there is the European factor at hand here. Um, you know, West Ham hosted Genk on, on, on Thursday evening, Spurs went to in the Conference League uh, on on Thursday as well. So normally when this happens, especially off the back of an international break, these these players have have travelled a lot over the last couple of weeks and that normally spells not a very good game of football. So I am, I'm afraid, going to go for under two and a half goals at even money so over two and a half is favourite which I think was a little bit surprising given that we've got um, David Moyes against Nuno often when you look at just managerial matchups, and you see two pretty pragmatic managers although of course both teams have scored a fair few goals recently um, but you saw the blueprint for the um, West Ham winning at, at Everton on the weekend keeping it very tight and I'm also just going to back 0-0 at, at 11-1 to as well um, in case it really is one to snooze in front of on the sofa on uh, a Sunday afternoon. Don't tell me
1: that because I was really looking forward to that game on paper. I was really looking it's forward gonna, to it. Well it's then, then if, if you bat a the 0-0,
0: 0-0 at 11-1 then you'll enjoy the nil nil even more.
1: <laughs> win, win both ways. Yeah, could could, could win both ways. Could either be a great game or I'll win some money. Let's finish with the small <laughs> matter of Manchester United against Liverpool Sunday at Old Trafford 4.30. Steve, I mean, quite both, both had quiet midweeks midweek in the Champions League, didn't they? Have a, um, two unbelievable games. They, they were both the games that I decided to watch in, in midweek. Both winning three-two. It'll, it'll be in slightly different circumstances, but you know, I don't even know what to say about those games. The Champions League oh, wow. j- just
2: mad, but you know, I don't see the game at the weekend being like that. No, from a bookmaking point of view, just a very small violin down. Fifteen of the sixteen Champions League favourites winning two of those sides. Of course, both of those. There was one 0 nil game. Uh, Leal against Seville, I think it yeah. was. That was the only one that didn't cop for uh, for the punter. So a great week for them. Of course, Manchester United winning from behind uh, yet again, 13 to two. That was in play. Man United, they're always extremely popular in play. But I'll put the violin away. Let's talk about this. This is going to be an absolute cracker. Clearly, Liverpool are going to be favourites. They're they're five around the five to four mark down, which is a a little bit shorter than they were last season. I think that was Klopp's first win at Old Trafford as well. Manchester United look home and hosed in second when Liverpool were chasing second spot. And I think it was that was the start of the run where they just started to score three or more away from home. In fact, they've done it every single game since that day at Old Trafford, except once at the Hawthorns when Alisson scored that header. When, uh, of course, Liverpool <laughs> won to make it a 2-1 a victory, which is great for them, the catalyst for that. And they've been, seems to be flying ever since as well. So it's a it's a game that I think we're all... Looking forward to. Uh, I'm sure George will talk about Manchester United because I know he loves talking about Manchester United in the week. So I'm <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to his to his analysis. Is Coward. it Cowards. As it, it, <laughs> it seemed at two nil down. Every ex player, you know, pundit, journalist, kind of thinking this is. I told you while he was out of his depth. I told you he was out of his depth. And of course what? he comes back to produce that. I know. In my opinion, it's just papering over the the, the cracks, yeah, definitely, but uh, definitely, yeah. But I'll I'll leave it for George. I'm sure he'll, he'll have a better summary than me. I'm
0: very I'm very relieved that I didn't tweet between eight forty five and nine o'clock last night. That's what I'm going to say because um, I may have looked fairly foolish. Uh, I mean, it's it is amazing how often this is the narrative arc around Oli, where when things are going well, you have United fans saying this is it. And then you have naysayers like me saying, Hmm, I think with that with that quality of squad you're gonna go through good periods. Then the bad period comes and people like me start looking well, start feeling quite just a bit smug. um bit smug, yeah, about, about this. And you've still got some United fans who change their minds, some who say, No, 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 we've got to keep the faith. When it's getting to breaking point, this is about the third time this has happened, Manchester United pulls something out of the bag. Whether that is Manchester United putting something out of the bag for Oli or Oli putting something out of the bag for the club, I will leave it to the listener to decide. I mean, I didn't see anything... They are are playing for him, aren't they? You've got got
1: to be fair. They they do play for him. It kind of feels like Oli's hiding a little bit behind Oh, This is what Manchester United do. This is the Manchester United DNA. But, you know, if you're coming back from two down and you're coming back like that, that's two Champions League games in a row where they've come back late. It does feel a little bit like they are playing for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. it's very difficult. To, I mean, I don't for a second think that he's lost the dressing room or anything, but I think that I would argue that the comments of Cristiano Ronaldo and Paul Pogba in the press, you know, specifically Pogba saying something needs to change. Well, when you're saying something needs to change in mid-October, there's, there's not much that can change except for changing the man in the dugout. So I, I don't know whether or not he's still got, I think if you were to ask... Cristiano Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, these guys, if they think he's an elite level coach, I think the answer is probably going to be no. But as I've said plenty of times in this podcast, there are there are things that he brings the club more than, well, he doesn't bring elite level coaching, so there are other things that he brings the club that fans value. But in terms of looking at this objectively as a game of football, and, and I've been caught out doing this so many times, there was the was it the City game um, in December last year, which was 0-0. Well, I went into that thinking City are... Uh, You know, should be two goal favourites here. Basically, the 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 gap between the sides I thought was massive, but there is a part of this with United under under Solskjaer. Where, and I'm sorry to do this because I'm taking any credit away from him for those wins. Where, in games where they don't have the ball, in games where they're playing against opposition who are basically better drilled and are more technically gifted, it suits the way that they play down to a t. Because it meant that Rashford, it means that Martial, it means all these players they've got who are Basically, at their best, playing on the counter, have all the space to run into on the break. So now things are, are a bit different because you've got Bruno, who is not a player who likes to play on the break, and you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who's somebody who, you know, whilst he is by no means a slouch, is, is thirty-six years old and probably isn't the kind of player you want to be getting on the ball on the halfway line and, and driving past the defence. So it, 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 I don't know how this is going to play out. I, I think I have to, you know, rather than focusing on intangibles and wins that I see as just natural variance I mean I personally think that the 5-4 to four about Liverpool is, is, is massive value I, I think it has to be I think the way that Liverpool are playing they've got the best player in the world playing for them at the moment um, they've got a few others in behind who are playing well you know Sadio Mane's return to form has gone completely unspoken about because of Salah's form but he is looking back to his best as well Roberto Firmino suddenly Scoring loads of goals in Jota's absence. It feels there are five or six players who, at Liverpool who are playing right at the top of their game at the moment. Last season is a distant memory. This is massive. This game for United, and irrespective of what happened in midweek against Atalanta, which was, of course, a, a huge result for Oli, a huge result for the club. It's a three-two win at home against an opposition who are, you know, who they should be beating at home. The manner of it was massive, but it means nothing unless they they get a performance and a reaction on Saturday. It's still going to be very very awkward for Oli if if what I think happens happens on Saturday and Liverpool show their dominance. You know, United have got one clean sheet in the last twenty games up against the most proficient attack in in European football at the moment. It, it seems to me like the you know five to four suggests there's well under a fifty percent chance of Liverpool winning that winning this game. I think there is. Higher than a fifty percent chance that they come away with three points.
2: And th- that clean sheet, sorry Dan, was against Wolves as well, and Wolves, ab- Wolves absolutely battered them that day as yeah, well. Yeah, should have scored. have scored, Dan and, scored and the keeper, De Gea, he's, he's, he's having a good season. He's second behind Mendy in the in the goals prevented chart as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if you know the, yeah. it's it's he's I think United are quite fortunate. Everything points to a Liverpool win. I know we've got a market Dan on the on the next three Manchester United games. How many points will? The Red Devils get. They've got Liverpool at home, Spurs away, and Manchester City at home. I know George will say zero, but uh, Dan, I'll get to. (laughs) (laughs) Any thoughts, guys, on the the total points? Liverpool at home, Spurs away, Manchester City at home.
1: One. Four.
2: Yeah. Looking at this, it's not that competitive. One to four points is actually four to seven. So you've called it right with, uh, yeah. I think, I think they'll get a point
1: on Sunday. These, games, these are the games, Steve, that are always hyped up by Sky. Do you remember Red Monday? Look, I can't remember how many years ago it was. I used to play football on a Monday night, so I avoided the score rule, and I was really excited for it. Monday night football, had been hyped up for ages. I sat down at 10 o'clock to watch it, not knowing what the score was, and it was the worst two hours of my life. It was terrible. <laughs> but but, but, but and we, nearly, we've said that on, that this, that on the
0: show before. Is it, you know when you, when you have two of the best teams in a league, normally but I don't think this is that I think this is one of the best teams in the league playing against a side who they should beat who concede loads of goals I, I don't see why this would be cagey and I think the reasons why United have been so good in games against sides at the top end is because of personnel and I'm not convinced that's going to be the case here um, I mean it's, it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because either United are going to win and it's going to be a massive possibly the biggest result for Ole Solskjaer in Solskjaer in his Manchester United managerial career in front of the home fans with Ronaldo on the pitch and things are going to look very very positive and the last few weeks will be forgotten especially after midweek or if Liverpool do a job on them then things you know it, it feels like his United managerial future is on a coin toss on this game at the moment and that's why the jeopardy is what, what makes it so exciting even if it's a nil-nil I still think there's there's enough riding on this game between two clubs who do not like each other to make it uh, make it a fun one to watch I can't wait as you can tell, and I'm looking forward to all the abuse from United fans when they win no, time. I in. think
1: you're going to be really disappointed. I think you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> I, my, my, my bet would be 1-1 with a penalty to be scored. That that would be what I would go with. In, that in sounds that great. Game. Steve, <laughs> what's your tip?
2: Yeah, I know this, but there has been a few nil-nils, but, uh, you know, the big crowd, great atmosphere. I can see goals. Liverpool's front three are firing. They're scoring for fun between them as well. So I'm going to go for Liverpool to win and both teams to score. So I do fancy United to score. I don't see this being full of goals Just at all. we we'll, we'll come
0: back don't, to it next week. Don't complicate it. Just five to four. Liverpool to win.
1: Anyway, that does us for this week's edition of the show. So my thanks goes to Steve and George and, of course, all you guys for listening as well. If you are enjoying the show, then remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. Mark Chapman, David Ornstein and friends will be back on this feed on Monday, so watch out for that. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. Enjoy all the football at the weekend. Have a great one.
3: The Athletic.